Welcome everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who has conflicted feelings about the color orange, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? There's no conflict here. Um, orange is great when it has a nice uh, burnt hue to it. If it ain't burnt, it ain't turnt. Um, prison jumpsuit orange, either the Tennessee or, or Oklahoma State, Syracuse variety. It's all fine. I mean, it's a fine color. It's just it's a clearly inferior color. Orange is meant uh, to be burnt, you know, like the ends of, of uh, brisket. Never tell you about the time where I was offered free, like actual burnt ends from a brisket at a at a barbecue place. The guy was like, "You want these?" And then my response to him was, "Do people ever say no?" And he said, "Unfortunately, yes, they do." So he and I had an existential moment where I was like, "You should just you should just fight those people." Like you as the as the man who serves the meats. That's that's tough. You know, some people unfortunately just don't get it. They don't know what's good for them. But we're not here to talk about delectable barbecue. We're here to talk about hopefully Texas cooking some Cowboys this weekend. The Longhorns heading for just their second true road game of the year, taking on the Oklahoma State Cowboys in Stillwater for their eighth consecutive game. Texas been on a little bit of a run this year. We'll also do some burnt orange lenses, whip around college football, the NFL, all that good stuff. And then we'll close the show out with some Godzilla-tron and uh, give you a little updated schedule for next week. So, the Longhorns, like we mentioned, uh, have not played a road game since going to uh, Lubbock, and it got weird. So Texas is now looking to go back on the road and uh, take on probably the second best team they've played all year. Alabama is still probably the best team in spite of recent results. I, I would probably say Alabama is better than Oklahoma State, but one of the two best teams they played all year. Again, this is a spot where Texas is in control of its own destiny for the rest of the season, so a win here does a lot for what Texas wants to do and wants to achieve uh, as far as its season goals go. Probably does some of the heaviest lifting I've seen um, since a, uh, a Justice Finkley workout video. That's um, <laughs> Alabama would beat Oklahoma State, you know, 96 times out of 100, I'm pretty sure. Um, that's not to say Alabama is not a flawed team. It's not to say Oklahoma State doesn't have a gear in which they are, you know, a top 10 team. Here's my thing, Gerald. I don't feel good about Texas being favored in this one. I don't feel like Texas sh- should be, but I understand why why it is that way, right? I, 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 I This game is close every year. It's a tough one to call um, Texas weirdly does better in Stillwater than it does in Austin in this rivalry. Um, all of those things, like the closer the game, this game is played to actual Thanksgiving, the more power that um, Gundy S. Pumpkins actually has. So it's good to be off of actual spooky night playing them. Um, I don't know. Like I, I go into this one again. I feel, I feel that they can win. I feel that they could win. They maybe should win. Um, but they, there's some things they have to do, right? Some things they have to clean up and, and some things they have to stop 
Oklahoma State from doing and some some things that they're going to need to exploit, right? If they can if they can hit their gears and do the things that they uh, want to do and we know they can do, then then they can win this game for sure. There's no world in which you know I think they can't or they won't. Um, I just think you know the the line getting over a touchdown is crazy. Yeah, it feels crazy to me from a like we've watched these two teams play for years right if you look at any advanced statistical like modeling or or um rankings like stats of war our friend over stats of war parker fleming uh has texas winning this 45 to 38 they have a 68 percent win percentage fei has oklahoma state at number 17 texas at number five smp plus has oklahoma state at 12 texas at six kelly ford has texas uh, oklahoma state at 13 texas at six fpi has uh oklahoma state at 16 texas at five beta rank has oklahoma state at 27 texas at five right like Everything in the world, all of the statistical models, all of the what we've seen on the field is screaming at me, like, feel good about this game. Texas can and should win this game. But everything I've seen from these two teams for the last, dating back to like 2004, right, tells me that nothing is guaranteed in this game. Everything's going to be tight, nip and tuck, and it's going to be a tough matchup for Texas. It always, Oklahoma State thrives off this game, uh, thrives off this matchup. I've got uh, I had a, a buddy of mine who was actually connected to the Oklahoma State program. I won't tell you how, but he said that like part of Mike Gundy's pregame speech is like to all the Texas kids, they didn't offer you. They didn't want you. Go show them that they're wrong, right? Like they love this game. They get up for this game. And this is a season maker for both of these teams. And so expecting anything other than a knockdown, drag out, fist fight, bare knuckle situation. And I say bare knuckle situation. It could be like a high scoring bare knuckle situation uh, but I- I- expecting anything other than a battle here going into it I think is silly I think that if you if you think Texas wins in a blowout you haven't been paying attention um, I think if you think Oklahoma State wins in a blowout you probably also haven't been paying attention right Texas is two losses this year by a combined four points uh, one point if you just consider regulation right the other was an overtime um, and so this is a team that's you know going to play with whoever's on the field with them sometimes in the past the history has been they've played down to opponents when they shouldn't have um and played up to opponents you know when when they showed up um texas is going to play with who's who's across from them um this year i think and and um i hope they don't play with their food Uh, a big win where you know they they comfortable wins in the past two weeks were then uh, eroded by a, a tight Iowa State game that again felt like they were playing with their food and didn't didn't we talked about in our our uh, last episode they didn't have that knockout blow but this is going to be a close one right we know it, the past seven meetings have been one possession scores and six or six of the past seven um, we know that this Texas team is five and two in the last seven in Stillwater that's great. They're one and six in the last seven in Austin. That's weird. Um, but, uh, you know, like, this is going to come down last time we, we won there. You had a Joseph Osai making a, a big play. We, Vince Young has pump faked his way into lore during this game. This is always a good game. Like, it just always is since, you know, both of these teams have been in kind of their current modernity. And, and Gundy's been there a long time, right? One of the longest tenured coaches in the country. Gundy's been there for eternity, right? Not modernity. Modernity eternity. plus eternity. But, and, and truly, so it feels like bridging of different eras because he's been there so long. But, I mean, as basically they went from a Barry Sanders, uh, Thurman Thomas show that was kind of a flash-in-the-pan program to being a sustained, successful program under Gundy, right, in that era. Um, these are always close, even when Texas was the much better team and won most of those games in a row. Um, and now lately, you know, 
Oklahoma State, you, you can ar- not argue, you could say over the past 10 years has been the better program on the field, the results, right? I, I don't think anyone thinks it's if you're hiring a coach and you give him two job offers, he's going to take Oklahoma State over Texas necessarily, but you can't argue with the facts. They have been one of the better programs in the country consistency-wise over the past 10 years, right? They, they go to bowl games, they win bowl games. They, they win 9, 10 games a year. Like, they have just been very consistent, uh, one of the top 15 teams in the program or in the country. So, you know, all that said, I think Texas has a playbook um, to go out and, and, and certainly win this game. There's some things that they can do. Um, and, again, if they can protect the ball, if they can be smart, execute, and they can, you know, uh, play winning defense, I think it, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about each of those. I think that there is a, a, a very clear roadmap to, to, to winning this game and getting it there. You know, they're probably key signature win so far on the season. Yeah, and I think – the one thing that still sticks out to me is that Steve Sarkeesian is one and five on the road as a Texas head coach. It's like there's a, again, there's so many factors playing into this game. But let's get into some cynics. We'll talk about the Oklahoma State offense really quickly. Uh, Spencer Sanders, preseason All Conference quarterback, like one of the longest tenured quarter, the longest tenured quarterback I think, uh, depending on him and Max Duggan, if you consider him the starter or the backup. Uh, but Spencer Sanders, the longest tenured uh, starter in the conference, fifty eight percent of his passes, fifty eight and a half percent of his passes. It's 271 yards per game, 13 touchdowns to three interceptions. However, the last couple of weeks, uh, he has struggled to complete passes. It might be an injury situation going. Gundy um, was a little feisty in a presser. Gundy feisty in a Go presser. Figure. Shocking, right? Um, but he was he's 38 for 81 with five sacks over the last two weeks. So there is maybe something going on there. Oklahoma State likes to spread the ball out. They've got four different receivers, three different receivers that are averaging more than three receptions per game, plus Bryson Green is like right under. Underneath it, Brendan Presley, 30 receptions, 353 yards and a score. Braden Johnson, 20 receptions, 398 yards and a score. Or three touchdowns, excuse me. Uh, John Paul Richardson, 22 receptions, 212 yards. And then the guy who's the the fourth receiver on the team, Bryson Green, has 16 receptions, 284 yards, and four touchdowns. One of every four of his receptions goes for a score. So a lot of options for Spencer Sanders if he's healthy, if he can complete the ball. And... If he's not healthy, there's this like sentiment of I want to play everybody at their best. I don't. I really don't. It's fine. I'll take I'll take the W's when you can. But yeah, I think the that's the big question is like what is the Oklahoma State passing offense going to be this week? Can they move the ball, Spencer Sanders? Do they have to put the backup in there? Like what's the situation? Gerald, are are, are you familiar with who their their backup is? I don't know. It's it, I want. I wish it was a, a a booty sibling, maybe, but not probably not. It's it's not a it's not a booty, but it is a last name that is a quarterbacking family um, that you have heard of. Is it is it is it Gunner Gundy? It is Gunner Gundy. Their backup is Gunner Gundy. The only other player who's thrown passes this year is coming in some of their um, you know games against FCS opponents. Um, is Gunner Gundy? Is it is it Gunner or Gunnar? I can't tell. Uh, you know, uh, I I know Mike Gundy. Uh, a, a, he's a man. He's he's old. Yeah, it, uh, however old he is, fifty five now or whatever. But um, I am ninety nine point nine 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 percent sure that that is pronounced Gunner. Like that is <laughs> Gunner Guns Gundy. His middle name might be Guns uh, or Gunner Bullets Gundy. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I mean, he's 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 a walk on. He wanted to you know play for his dad, right? Like. He, he might be good. He had a couple, you know, FBS level offers, um, but chose to walk on at this team. Like, hard, hard to say. We haven't seen enough to, to really know 
uh, at the collegiate level, but I do think it is a noticeable drop off from Spencer Sanders. Um, I think Brendan Presley is a is a good receiver. I think uh, Braden Johnson is a very good receiver. I think you know they, they they have some weapons there. They always will. Like against Texas, sometimes whoever their next breakout receiver is seems to break out against us. Um, so I, you know I, I I don't worry so so much if I'm an Oklahoma State fan about the options we're going to catch the ball. I'm completely worried and focusing on who's going to throw it right. Um, the running game is is interesting because it's like 50% of it almost or 40% of it is Spencer Sanders, right? When you talk about him having an injury um, issue, I mean, he's been sacked multiple times, like, you know, two and a half, three times a game in Big 12 play, and he's rushed the ball an average of 14 times each Big 12 game. So they are putting a lot on him. I mean, a lot on this offense. Dominic Richardson's averaging about 70 yards per game uh, as their main tailback has, you know, just about a touchdown a game. So he's doing fine there. Um, but Sanders has eight rushing touchdowns, right? If it's, if it's goal to go, they're looking for a way to let Sanders use his legs, right? The fact that he's running, you know, uh, two for his every three to the other guy, like he is, uh, he, he, he's heavy, heavy usage percentage in this offense. So if he's not there or if he's limited or if Texas gets a hit on him and he goes out, I mean, I think, it not only changes their passing game, it also very much affects their ability to run the football. I, I don't know if Oklahoma State is better with a hobbled Spencer Sanders or going with a with a different game plan. And again, that's that's a question that I think we that Mike Gundy's going to have to a- ask this week. It, it's been a hobbled Spencer Sanders over the last two weeks, and it's been good enough to win for them. But I, I, Texas has very been very clear this year that they're going to take away what you want to do and force you to try to beat them with something else, right? And even again, even in the loss to uh, Texas Tech, right, they they forced a Texas Tech's backup to beat them, and he happened to just have the game that day, and Texas struggled to, to uh, get off the field in numerous situations, and I think that, but they've been successful in that, and so being able to bottle up what Oklahoma State wants to do is focusing in on Spencer Sanders, right? It's focusing in on the pass game that's been their mo so i'm curious to see what that looks like with spencer sanders hobbled with spencer sanders potentially um struggling does dominic richardson because the interior of the texas defense specifically the tackles the three techs the interior linebackers jalen ford diamante tucker dorsey they've been playing really really well for the last month or so we haven't really talked about them a ton but they've been playing really really well and so if Oklahoma State can't get it done on the ground with either of their players, and Spencer Sanders is injured, right, is injured, the injury has, is as severe as they think it is, and it looks, and people are asking about it in pressers, like, what does this offense look like? I'm going to say this. The most interesting thing to me in this game, no matter who is the quarterback, is does Gundy stick to his his guns, not to have a pun here, but um, and and call like he almost always does, right? He's he's in every way you can describe it a conservative coach, and he doesn't really go for it on on fourth down. That has been Texas defense's biggest Achilles heel is third down and long conversions, and then teams going for it on fourth. You saw kind of in their last road game against Tech. Um, Gundy's only gone for it four times in the season. He's three for four. They're they're under forty percent on third down efficiency, right? Thirty five for eighty eight. Um, so this is a team that punts a lot. And if Sanders, you know, is is inaccurate and they're missing passes, get behind the chains, Texas takes away the interior run game. I'm still worried about Sanders getting out of the pocket, right? Like we've seen mobile quarterbacks still give Texas fits, right? They get the ball out quick or they extend, you know, 
where it's a pressure but not a sack and are able to make the throw off the run. We see multiple quarterbacks do that. Um, we, we've seen, you know, some third down, like, key plays. Even even Hunter Decker's got a rushing touchdown on third and goal to go, right? We, we, we've seen Bryce Young be what he is, which is a magician, truly, and, and make guys miss in weird ways and extend plays. Frank Harris, like, we've seen multiple of these quarterbacks who, who, who did enough um, to do that with their mobility. So Sanders still absolutely worries me, no matter how healthy his arm is, right? what he can do with his legs. But if Texas is able to, to kind of control that, keep a spy, keep an eye on that, uh, make him be a passer of the ball and make the short stuff difficult for him, make him throw the long ball. Don't give him anything easy when he's had accuracy issues. Get them into third downs that aren't as easy. And then, you know, please, dear God, um, have some efficiency on that down. If you get to fourths and whatever, like you could have fourth and ones, and I think Gundy is going to punt more times than not. He's shown that in years past, and it's worked out for him, right? Like he, we just said, he's had one of the most consistent programs. There are coaches who just don't care about the analytics, don't care about what the book says. Um, you know, uh, they just know in their gut, I'm going to punt it, and I'm going to trust my defense, and we'll talk about their defense uh, this year and, and why that isn't maybe uh you know the same type of team that it was last year where you can rely on that but so third downs and fourth downs uh and whether they're efficient and whether gundy you know sticks to his his uh his history uh will be the most interesting thing to me i just don't want to have fourth down flashbacks to lubbock that's really all i hope for out of this game so defensively oklahoma state has seemingly felt the loss of jim Knowles to ohio state where ohio state's also feeling the gain of jim Knowles and their defense is much better than it was last year um but oklahoma state is still a solid defensive team you know when you look at again most of the advanced stats they're a top 30 ish team defensively um they they're especially against the ground game that's something that i'm curious to see this weekend kyle uh, oklahoma state rush defense has been a strength for them uh they have a 24 percent stuff rate which is super high. Basically, one out of every four runs gets stuffed, and they're only allowing 2.3 line yards per rush, which against a team like Texas where B. John Robinson um, is leading the country in broken tackles and yards after uh, yards after contact uh, is a scary prospect. Now, that being said, uh, they haven't really been all that impressive in their past defense, and so potentially that opens up an opportunity for Quinn Ewers and, Oklahoma, and the Texas passing game. But Mason Cobb is still back there, 54 tackles, two sacks, and an interception. Brock Martin... Uh, um, Kelvin Banks is going to make his money over these next few weeks or so from these last few weeks over the next three week, three games. Um, Brock Martin's another one where Kelvin Banks is going to have to step up and be, uh, be the man at left tackle that he has been. Uh, I am very, very curious to see the the match in the trenches. I think that's really where my eyes go, right? They have a, Oklahoma State has a havoc rate of 16% from their front seven, which is really quite high when you think about it. 16, basically 1.6 of every 10 plays, they create some sort of havoc moment in the backfield. So like that to me, I think this game is going to be won and lost offensively for Texas in the trenches. The offensive line, Bijan Robinson, Roshan Johnson, that's where this game is going to be won and lost, I think, uh, for Texas. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I may be a, uh, a a captive of a, a good sports documentary, but I, you know, I, I've been found a fondness for Malcolm Rodriguez that I certainly didn't have while he was flying around, stopping everything for that Jim Knowles defense last year and wreaking havoc against the Longhorns. Um, but he has translated immediately. I think he was a late pick, like not a, a sixth round or something, has immediately become a, a contributor on that defense in the NFL. So you know he's actually really good. Knowles, a great coordinator, certainly, and he's done well with Ohio State, but um, you see that like that wasn't a fluke. That was one of those identify and develop type of, of, of players. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I, I they're replacing 
a, a bit. Um, Harper, uh, um, Devin Harper, also from that linebacker group, is playing. He got drafted, I think, in the seventh round. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, they, they they had some dudes that that from that team who who went to the NFL that they're replacing, and and then you know one of the most consistent defensive coordinators. So um, I believe in Oklahoma State's ability to turn it up against Texas. They just always do. Knowles is, is a recent defensive coordinator, but it feels like even when you know that hasn't been their strength. They've, they found ways to, uh, to make defensive plays against us. So I think they're going to have a good, um, a good game plan. Uh, like you said, Gundy really gets up and gets his players up for this game. This is, um, the game that means a lot to him, right? Beating OU, beating Texas. He doesn't get to beat OU very often, uh, did it last year, but that just doesn't happen. But beating Texas, I mean, especially the way everything's gone with the SEC and the way he's talked, this game means something. It's personal. It's vind- it's vindictive and vindication. Um, so, I, you know, like I said, they're a good unit. They're led in the front, like you said, in the front seven. Um, defensive line is is their strength. Um, but beyond Brock Martin, right, you have uh, Kapensky with three sacks. Colin Oliver, who's, uh, you know, a good recruit, big player. Um, and then Tyler Lacey, all, all like, you know, decent size there. Um, I think... Texas, if they're going to pass the ball because they like to stop the run, Texas has been holding up well in the pass blocking, better, in fact, than in the run blocking. So I like yeah. that angle. But I am curious, right, because we talked about it in our recap. Iowa State is the best rush defense in the conference. It's the best defense in the conference, but it is the, the best run-stopping defense. So I don't, you know, in, in Texas, especially when they, you know, were engaged to it and came out in the second half and looked locked in to, to try to run the ball, um, can run against anyone, even if it, it is, you know, not the best run blocking team, right? That's the the gift of having Bijan and Roshan, who both grade out really, really well in the season with with yards after contact, with creating you know space, with with force miss tackles, all of that stuff. So, um, though that is a strength on strength, I think that Texas has the advantage in the fact that Quinn Ewers, I think, is going <laughs> to want to get back. Like he, he's he's not going to face a defense quite as complex as what Haycock was throwing at him and, and forcing him to make wrong reads or mistakes, um, like we saw a little bit uh, last Saturday. I think. Texas, you know, gonna establish the run. Sark will never abandon it, right? Especially with a player like Bijan, you get him the ball wherever you can, but you're gonna run the ball. Um, but I do think that this game, they will use the run to really try to get to where they want to, which will be in the past, because teams have had some success against Oklahoma State this year in, in, in the past game. Yeah, and I think that's that's probably going to be Sark's mo for this, right? Is can we get Ewers, and especially with the bye week coming up, like can they get Ewers back into rhythm? Can they get him back in a place where because on the other side of that bye week are TCU and Kansas State, right? So like this three game stretch is really going to be big for Quinn Ewers and his ability to win games for Texas, right? TCU. And Kansas State are on a tear. And so one of the things I really loved from this last week is that Bijan apparently took it personally when Steve Sarkeesian said that JT Sanders had the best hands on the team. And so <laughs> I'm I'm interested to see additional load for him in the receiving game, right? I I we haven't seen as much of that like kind of sprint out bootleg kind of roll, like all of those type of things that we've seen in the past where you get Bijan in the flats and Bijan does what Bijan does in open space. And so I'm curious to see if Texas is able to do some of that to really take advantage of the aggression of Oklahoma State's defense as well as get Bijan going up against potentially the softer parts of the Oklahoma State defense, right? Where you can get him out in space, manufacture some move for those guys, manufacture some room, some shake for them. Like that to me is what I'm what I'm curious to see 
as far as opportunities in space. And, you know, Sark, Sark has shown that he's really been, been up to his scheme game, at least to start the games. And so, again, I think the question is going to remain, like, if Texas is up in this at any point, can they deliver that knockout blow? That's always going to be the question I'm going to ask each and every week. Is can Texas, with an opportunity to put the game out of reach, put it away, right? That's still going to be the question uh, moving forward. So just a couple stats. Oklahoma is better than Oklahoma State in all of the above. Uh, completion percentage allowed. Oklahoma not great, but Oklahoma State um, 91st in the country in that stat. Oklahoma State 129th in passing yards allowed per game. That's second worst in the country. Um, better than OU. Uh, Oklahoma State in uh, is 84th, where Oklahoma 78th. Again, not great, but in, in average passer rating uh, uh, allowed. Oklahoma State is 83rd, where Oklahoma ranks at 63rd in um, uh, pass yards per attempt. Uh, and then if you look at, uh, you know, just kind of overall, right, there there have been people like Central Michigan brought back the top rushing player in that opening week. It was not the rushing game, a quarterback who's only had 250. He's only gone over 200 twice other than against Oklahoma State had 400 yards against them. Right. Like the way Texas de- defense has allowed people historically to have that, that breakout game, their signature game, and then they come back to earth. That's what Oklahoma State's defense in the passing game has been. So, again, I'm not saying that they won't have something dialed up for this one, but being the third worst, and I'll just say Tennessee is one below them, right? They're at a yard worse. So it doesn't mean you can't win by giving up a lot of passing yards, right? Tennessee, We Kansas, talked about it on Monday. Kansas is 127th in that category, right? We talked about Kansas being a breakout team. Um, you know, Arkansas, Oregon. Like, you're looking at the bottom teams who give up the the, the most yards, and, and those are all teams who are having pretty good, you know, decent to, to very good years. So it's not saying Oklahoma State can't find ways to, to, to win or do anything, but I think that's where you're going to have your success. I think that's where, you know, you're, you're going to want Worthy, Whittington, your backs in the passing game, your two tight ends, now that we have Billingsley as well. Saw him a little bit, but not not much. Um, but we'll have another week with the program. Still, I think he'll be better out of the bye with some more time. But nonetheless, you have two tight ends there um, who can each be a threat. Um, maybe this is a Casey Kane redemption game. Maybe we don't see Casey Kane at all. We shall see. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it does any of the other receivers who haven't really factored in have a chance to break out just where you get another guy with speed out there? I don't know. Sark seems to like his best guys on the field, and I, and I understand and appreciate that. Does Keelan Robinson have a chance? to get something in a package where they get three running backs out there and he gets one of those wheel routes and you cannot keep up with him. I don't know. Um, but I do feel like there's a lot of meat um, for a Sark on, on the bone for a Sark offense to just chew all game, right? Like it, they have not played and I'll just, I'll, I'll quit belaboring this point, right? But Oklahoma state has not really played the best passing offenses in the country. Um, TCU is, is, is pretty good at that in a weird way. Um, but outside of that, the other teams that they've played have not, are not the elite passing offenses and yet they are third worst in yards per game uh passing allowed gerald one final point here um kind of in our our miscellaneous section time of possession oklahoma state one of the few teams that actually gets less than texas right they're they're averaging 26 to our 28 right now um so that will be interesting right both teams want to get the ball score the ball give the ball back um and both teams offenses have had methodical drives against them so that will be an interesting thing to watch and then um Holding penalties, uh, Gerald, is something... Let me, let me say this. Penalties first. Um, Oklahoma State is... It, I talked about how they're not good at things. They're very good at, at not having a lot of penalties a- allowed against them. They only have five. I think they're basically giving up like 40 per game. Um, I don't think... 
uh, you should see a lot of holding penalties called in this game. A, because it's the Big 12. B, Gerald, quick quiz. Do you know six, seven games into the season, seven games into the season, do you know how many holding penalties against offenses facing the Texas defense have been called this season? That would be two. That's correct. And Texas has only accepted one. So through seven games, Texas has accepted one offensive holding penalty. There have been some false starts. There have been whatever. Not not sitting here critiquing the refs. It just, for whatever reason, weird as that may be, doesn't seem like the Big 12 refs are giving calls uh, to teams, including Iowa State's first touchdown when they had a blatant holding on that uh, touchdown play. Um, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> they're not giving that call. And so if I'm Gundy, you better believe I am absolutely coaching my players to, uh, to to block for the first few seconds, and then hold after that. You know, so uh, it will be very curious to see how that uh, how that plays out. So that fe- feels as good of a time as any, Kyle, to jump to our pod Stradamus pick. So uh, as an update, Kyle is leading nine to seven currently after uh, I went over this last week. So Kyle, what is your first pod Stradamus pick? Gerald, we just talked about the, the the passing offense, and I think they're going to run the ball as well, but I think they're going to get a lot of players involved in the passing offense. I think I was going to go straight for, for Ewers yards, which is, you know, feels, feels like the, the obvious choice, but instead I'm going to switch it up, and I'm going to say I think Texas has four players with more than 50 yards. Four players with more than 50 yards in the receiving game. Um, okay. I think okay. you know, there's going to be some who have quite a bit more than that, but I think they're going to try to get – a Sanders, a Bijan, an Xavier Worthy, a uh, a, a Roshan Keelan. I don't I don't know exactly who who the fourth is going to be. But someone uh, will get involved there, and I think there will be four. I was originally going to go three, but I'm feeling generous because I have a little bit of a lead. <laughs> four players with 50 yards in this one for Texas offense, which to me tells me they're moving the ball. And Sark is calling a heck of a game where he's getting people. I respect that, Kyle. I I, I do, and I appreciate you leaving the passing yards for me really is what it is because in six contests this year Oklahoma State has held an opponent under 250 yards exactly two times that was Arizona State and Arkansas Pine Bluff against good teams and not even good teams they gave up 424 to Central Michigan 345 to Baylor 379 to Texas Tech and 286 to TCU so I am going to say that I'm gonna go. I'm gonna double. I'm gonna double down on one that I missed on last week. But I think Quinn Ewers is gonna get back above 250 yards passing this week. Okay. If I was doing it, I'm just gonna say I was gonna do 275. But I won't talk you into it because we do know. I, I will not have, let you. Hey, <laughs> nine to seven. That's lead. your trick. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Thinking about the other side of the ball, Gerald. I think you know the key to this game is how they stop not just the strength of this defense, which is the the you know run it at our. 900 pounds of big ugly uh, in the middle. We're good at stopping that. But can we also stop the extracurricular? Can we stop uh, the, the quarterback getting out the uh, you know trick play, jet sweep, whatever they try to draw up, whatever it is? Can we stop all of that? And can we keep, assuming Spencer Sanders plays and they, they try to get their running game a little bit going, can we keep them under 90 yards rushing? I was going to go 100, but again, I'm feeling generous. So under 90 yards rushing is my pick. If Texas does that, I feel really good about their ability to force Sanders to make throws with his arm. And as we know, he can get a little inconsistent. He can be pick-offable, um, and good things come when that. So I'm saying 90 yards rushing uh, or less. 
I like it. I, I I feel like we're going with crowd pleasers today, Kyle. So here's my crowd pleaser Potsdamus pick. In six games this year, Oklahoma State has gone above fifty percent on third downs exactly once. That was a sixty-three to seven win over Arkansas Pine Bluff. So I think Texas is going to hold Oklahoma State to less than fifty percent on third downs. This game defense is going to prioritize getting off the field. I like that a lot. That's that's that will mean all of the tweets found their way to uh, Kwiatkowski and the defensive staff because I think that was the main thing that Longhorn uh, Twitter seized upon uh, the past uh, four or five days since since the game. So um, less than fifty percent on third down for OSU is is I think a beautiful prediction. I love it. So we'll be back post game with our live reaction. That'll be in your podcast feeds on Sunday. And then we'll be back on Tuesday with our full recap of the game. All right, Gerald. Now let's take a look at the world through some burnt orange lenses. We'll start. We have been the past few weeks taking a quick whip around the college football landscape, starting with the big 12. Um, Maybe the most interesting outcome of the game last week was West Virginia topping Baylor 43 to 40. Thanks to, some turnovers and a solid run game, again, reinforcing that I think Texas run defense is good because they absolutely shut West Virginia down when that's what they wanted to do. Um, OU beat Kansas. One had a quarterback back, one had a quarterback out. Take it for what you will. And then, of course, TCU, Ohio, Oklahoma State in uh, double overtime. Which game out of this uh, Big 12 latest slate was the most interesting for you? With a bye week in there as well. Yeah, I think the West Virginia game for me was interesting because I think it, it exposed – a winning formula against Baylor that I think Oklahoma state did a similar winning formula against them a few weeks ago. And I also think, um, the more teams that that Texas plays that already have two losses, the better it looks for Texas as, as they try to play their way into Arlington. Oh, I like that. That's, that's a good point. Um, sec, there was some, some interesting ones all around, but I'm just going to hone in obviously on the biggie, uh, a UT team finally did what, uh, we thought UT might do for just a moment to Alabama, uh, scored a lot of points on that defense. You know, it looked like Hendon Hooker basically looked like Quinn Ewers uh, in the first quarter, just moving the ball down. But their defense also let Alabama do what, what Bryce Young couldn't do until the fourth quarter against Texas. So it was kind of interesting. Um, you saw a first quarter Texas offense versus a fourth quarter Alabama offense in a shootout for the ages. Also, when did Bama's kicker start just deciding he misses kicks now? Like he's been nails and then it's gone the last two weeks man the last i feel it's a personal slight and a personal offense um he could have missed a couple a few weeks back week two would have been great the guy's been great for his whole career and and kept that up against texas and then has just fallen off a cliff anyway some relevant uh games utsa topped fiu big they basically won four straight since playing texas again when you talk about things that are relevant for the end of the season uh standings i like that i will be rooting for utsa hard the rest of the year uh an interesting one James Madison fell to Georgia State, and uh, ODU, Old Dominion, dominated Coastal Carolina, basically ending the G5s. Hopes for a perfect team and therefore a playoff outside chance. But Gerald, I will tell you, you uh, Louisiana Monroe falls to South Alabama, 41-34. to 34. That's Major Applewhite, South Alabama, and the USA received their first ever AP vote. Uh, votes plural this week they're six and one with their only loss being a one point uh, loss to a really good UCLA team it seems major Applewhite may have the best outside chance to a big bowl for a uh, a G5 team Mr. Steel your girl major Applewhite himself um, is doing some big things uh, you can quibble about 
you know his his personal choices that he's made and people that he's he's alienated personally. But he's a heck of a ball coach, and I think he's he he's seen his his star fall as in these last few years. But getting it done at South Alabama and building his way back up, I'm excited to see where what his career trajectory takes him to. Yeah, something about Fun Bell. It's interesting. I remember when that that hire got announced, and and uh, one of our one of our listeners, one of my friends, coworker Stephen. Uh, texted me and basically said, I didn't realize he was at South Alabama. He, Major couldn't get a better gig than that. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, maybe he's able to build them. And, and I don't think I predicted six and one with a one point loss to a, uh, a top 10 undefeated UCLA, right? Um, speaking of, of former coaches, though, um, Mac Brown improves to six and one with a win over Duke in a football game. Um, Matt, is this just another Mac year? Like, he's been weird and eked out some some games Miami barely beat obviously the App State one was weird there's just been like this feels like one of those weird Mac seasons and even even their loss is like huh you know like it just it feels a little like late stage Mac Brown like what what is this team I think it's fair to call anything post like 2009 late stage Mac Brown um like I it's it's weird they're scoring a bunch though they're scoring darn near like 42 points a game I think which is just absolutely insane um, the defense is giving up like 35 points a game or something ridiculous like that. So it's very much a late stage Mac Brown team. But I mean, six and one is six and one. Can't get mad at it. Remember that Gene Chizik came out of retirement to be Mac's defensive coordinator. So uh, probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Mac is Mac is an offensive genius. They lost all that talent to the NFL draft. You thought it was going to be the other way around. Um, speaking of, of the team we just mentioned, Miami, they, they're not great. Um it makes that that A and M. They they again tout this as a ranked win. They were number ten at the time, and I said Miami's really overrated. Miami has bad. I mean, Virginia Tech's really bad. Uh, they have two wins on the season. Miami just got their third by beating Virginia Tech. Um, their first P five win of the year. Uh, just not good. I mean, when you start looking at the rest of your resume, Miami basically looks like a G five kind of win right now versus a ranked win for those Aggies. <laughs> Anything you can do to hurt the the A and M resume. Also, Mario Cristobal might be a bad football coach. Like great recruiter, he might be a bad, great recruiter, great recruiter, great hype builder. Um, but I'm so glad he got rid of the turnover chain because that definitely was the problem. Absolutely, it was. Just wanted to point out, Service Academy scored 118 points and ran the ball 208 times. That's just looking at the big three, of course. There's probably other Service Academies, but uh, Air Force is specifically not that. They they threw the ball twice, um, but uh, they're 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 good. Um, they're the best of the the three academies, which is which is always fun. Um, Utah over USC was fun for a couple different reasons. A, it was just a great game for that late slot. Um, Vince Young was on hand, which is interesting and fun. Um, I guess he just likes to see teams win with a uh, a late uh, a late one over USC. Um, but at one point in the fourth quarter, both members of the Utah backfield were UT quarterback transfers. <laughs> That's Cam Rising and Jaquindon, uh JQJ, who is who is in there. So um, just like a, a fun. A fun little game with some little, little, little UT ties. Cam Rising beating Lincoln Riley. That's not how I ever saw it happening, but I'm glad it did. I love that. Uh, and finally, Stanford beat Notre Dame, which is always fun because Stanford's not good. But what it meant is UT was able to pass Notre Dame for fourth place on the all-times win list. If, if Notre Dame is having a tough one and UT can you know have a good run through Big 12 play and just kind of keep chalking up some wins, uh, they're still a ways off uh, Alabama – Michigan and Ohio State have created separation during this downtime for the Longhorns, but uh, this is, you know, this is the start of something we're saying, so just start eroding at that, uh, that gap. 
I think it all started when when Tyrone swoops dove over the goal line and, and Texas was back like a decade ago, right? I think that's when it all started. Yeah, and 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 finally, finally we are. Uh, maybe who knows? Maybe not. We'll see. Probably not gonna not, not gonna fine. put it into the ether. Uh, all right, let's look at some NFL next level Longhorns. Um, who was your Longhorn pick of the week uh, at the at the Sunday and Monday and I guess Thursday? The Thursday's bad games just generally just, just abolish Thursday football for the NFL. Um, probably Jordan Hicks. I think is probably the way to get like it's either him or Puna. Like I think those are the two guys that you have to probably waffle between on that one. Yeah, I mean Hicks was great. Eleven tackles, eight of those solo, one sack, two uh, quarterback pressures, one pra- pass breakup, but Puna. Five Puna. tackles, four solo, one sack, three tackles for loss, one quarterback hurry, had a pass breakup. They said he wasn't tall enough, and he did it all against Kyler. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, he's also not tall enough. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's oh, those are those are probably the top two. Give a little love to Hassan Ridgeway getting five tackles from a D-tackle D spot, just soaking up some pressure in that line, and then freeing up his buddy, his his uh, line mate, Chuck Amenahu, to get four tackles a sack and a pressure. Love uh seeing Longhorns play for a Longhorn coach out in San Francisco. But I'm going to give my Longhorn of the Week to Brennan Schooler. Schooler had two special teams tackles for the New England Patriots and then also had a fumble recovery. And my favorite thing of the week probably was Brendan Schooler running to the sideline with the ball in his hand and, like, goes up to Coach Bill Belichick, um, noted hater of life and things that are fun, um, and tries to hand him the ball, like, you know, uh, thinking it was... uh, uh, what movie was that where he's was it the replacements you know i want you to get me that ball um and belichick just was like what you, why are you talking to me rookie like get <laughs> away from me i'm thinking about the offense already just blew him off like the assistant coach is like what what do you do you know but it was just it was kind of adorable for brendan schooler love that he's carving out his niche there awkward belichick moments are always fun a person racking up the tackles and and doing everything not awkward is Jalen Ford we mentioned uh in our our last podcast but we'll put it here in the news section named to the Lombardi watch list leading the Big 12 in tackles solo tackles joining Agent Zero who was a preseason addition to this so Texas got two on the Lombardi watch list much deserved right like Jalen Ford played his way into that Jalen Ford somebody asked on uh, Parker Fleming actually asked who's the most important three-star player right playing right now and I confidently answered Jalen Ford right like there's no two ways around it like recruit number 1200 leading the conference in in tackles no I, I I love it and doing it for a team that is historically not been able to get those guys and develop those guys into the and it felt like the rest of the conference did and if texas goes anywhere it's because that offense stands up and because of the things that he does behind uh, that that defensive line so i, I agree with you gerald um you could make some arguments uh, for a couple different players but he's certainly in that conversation now two teams that are absolutely in their respective conversations gerald men's basketball opened at the ap uh, initial ap poll for next year number 12 in the country, which is which is good. They're a good team. There's a lot of hype and pressure uh, and things that come with a number that's small. Uh, but <clears throat> they then also opened at number two. Dose in Ken Palm's um, initial rankings. And, you know, I'm a Ken Palm acolyte. I like it better when there's more data and the season has been played a bit. But nonetheless, um, I think, you know, they, they were preseason Ken Palm, like number 14, 
the start of last year and finished number 15. So that terrifies me. The, the, the number's way too small. Yeah, I refuse to believe good things about Texas basketball until I see them. So like, I think we're just, just going to rock with it and say um, they're going to be unranked and they're going to have to get it out of the mud. Like, let's just let's just live in that world mentally. I like it. I like it. Let's keep expectations low and be, and be uh, you know, to be pleasantly surprised. That'll be a nice change of pace. But a team even higher in the AP poll coming in at number three. Um, that's women's basketball, right? Vic Schaefer has uh, those women ready to absolutely go out and build on successive Elite Eight runs. They were young and ahead of schedule last year. Now it's schedule. This is the schedule. It's their time, and clearly the nation has stood up and recognized that they came ahead of the the team that Big 12 coaches voted just like one point uh, ahead of them for the preseason favorite. Uh, number one in the conference, Iowa State came in um, at number eight in the initial AP poll, OU at 15. Baylor down at 18, um, but, you know, still not bad. I think Kansas was in receiving votes as well as Kansas State. It's a good conference this year. A lot of talent all the way across the board. Big 12, best men's basketball conference, and I would say top two or three women's basketball conference. Solid, solid competition couple of players who will be key to Texas achieving those lofty numbers. Rory Harmon selected the Nancy Lieberman Award watch list. She's one of the 20 on the short list for the nation's top point guard. And then Sonia Morris selected the Ann Myers-Drysdale watch list, which is the same award for the nation's top shooting guard. Texas needs that kind of performance from her if if they're going to be competitive uh, and reach the goals that I feel like Vic Schaefer probably has for this team. Uh, and they've overachieved, I think, a little bit the last two years. I think they're getting out of the low expectations group based on what we just talked about. Uh, I think it's going to be an opportunity for Texas to um, play big and put up big numbers and uh, hopefully pick up some W's in the process. Yeah, absolutely. And if, if Sonia Morris can shoot the ball like she did at DePaul, um, it really adds a nice element to this this team in general, right? She's their number nine all-time in, in points and number eight in three-point field goals made. So she is a true shooting guard, and as the name suggests, a, a, a scorer. So um, she will that backcourt uh, will, will be very important to their success this year. And then of the front court will be as well. And speaking of tall women, uh, Logan Eggleston and Asia O'Neal on the volleyball court uh, were named the Big 12 Offense and Defensive Player of the Week. Much deserved. They balled out. Texas and Texas had a great week, and they both uh, were a big part of it. Yeah, Logan Eggleston, her 11th career Big 12 Weekly Award, also broke last week the all-time ace record at UT. Has the Big 12 one in, in sight. Needs about a dozen more. Uh, Julie Shimkin talked about her a little bit uh, during that West Virginia game. She was named to the National Team of the Week, Top Drawer Soccer's National Team of the Week, um, after a, an impressive one against West Virginia with a penalty and an assist in that 2-1 come from behind victory. Uh, Peyton Stearns wins the ITF uh, 25K singles title, her third ITF 25K singles championship, second in the last three weeks. Uh, she's out here just, uh, just cash and checks, so... Big for Peyton. Make money, money, make money, money, money. <laughs> She'd be a junior this year, but instead she is out here cashing checks. Women's golf alum Sarah Kuskova had a, uh, a, a well-earned award, um, wrapped up a dominant season on the Ladies' European Tour, uh, European Access Tour, excuse me, and earned her European Tour card in the process. She won three tournaments, two runner-ups, eight top ten finishes in ten tournaments on that tour. This season won their Order of Merit, Rookie of the Year Award, and the number one money list spot, and like we said, got her tour card. And similarly, we will have both 
Cootie Brothers on the Corn Ferry Tour as Pearson uh, was able to do enough to uh, progress through and get the uh, Corn Ferry invitation. So uh, assuming his brother doesn't make it up to the PGA first, they will play a season together on that level. Hopefully they'll get tee times next to each other so mom doesn't have to be out on the course all day when she's watching. I mean, she's probably used to that by now, right? Like, that's probably pretty pretty uh, par for the course to use a pun right there for her. <laughs> Cheerful. Yeah, oh. buddy. Oh, that's yeah. good. That's good. All right. Uh, Todd Jaws named to the seven-person tax at Texas Bowl. Texas legend class of 2022 will be inducted before, honored before the game. Uh, unfortunately, Texas fans won't really get to see that unless they just show up because Texas is going to go to a way better bowl than the Texas Bowl this year. I don't know. I Maybe. Hopefully. Should. Um, but nonetheless, big for Todd Dodge. It's uh, representation at all levels. You had Warren Moon, who's from California. Ed Tutal Jones, who played for the Cowboys and the Oilers. You also had some uh, some high school legends, some college legends, uh, Texas legends all across Dodge. Obviously, the UT quarterback before being uh, the only coach to ever win three in a row with two different schools, Carroll and, and most recently Westlake before he retired. Gerald, I know you like wrestling. Do you like wrestling? Do you follow wrestling in any way still? Uh, I follow Mark Henry on Twitter. Um, like it. The the New Day guys had a really funny podcast for a while, but it was more about like nerd stuff and less about wrestling. So like that was probably it, right? But like I don't fair enough. I'm not too, I'm not tuning into Raw or SmackDown or whatever TNA's thing is. It's been a few years since I've done that as well. But you know, between like you said, Mark Henry, The Undertaker, our question we used to ask podcast guests, um, it, it, there is a Longhorn tie-in. And most recently, did you see Mr. John uh, JBL Bradshaw? Bradshaw uh, uh, I can't remember what the L is for now, but the the the, the former Farouk's former tag team partner. Uh, <laughs> he's back, and his persona is the big hat wearing Texas. He's from Sweetwater, Texas, uh, out there near Lubbock. And uh, did you see him just absolutely eviscerate the Oklahoma fans? I did. And it's, by the <laughs> way, it's John Layfield is the L. Ah, yeah, Layfield. There we go. Bradshaw, we- nonetheless. Yeah, he's Bradshaw. To anybody that grew up in the 90s, right, he's Bradshaw. But, like, just absolutely – this is, like, the second time. So, like, like when when you and I were watching wrestling, there's a moment where he was being booed by Oklahoma fans and he made a TCU joke about them because they'd recently lost to TCU. And that was, like, a decade ago or whatever. And so, like, him – like, I like that this is a bit for him. Like, it's just a thing. It's incredible. He absolutely threw horns up, talked about, you know, UT scoring half a century on them. Just, like – the fans, the booing, like he, he just knew how to work that crowd, like any good heel, into an absolutely frothing state. It was beautiful. And just the, the camera cuts to Oklahoma fans, just um, uh, chef's kiss was wonderful. Uh, but anyways, Gerald, that is one of the things I watch on TV. But we're going to transition now to Godzilla Tron. What have you been watching on your giant screen? So we watched the Rings of Power finale. That was a show that took a couple episodes to get going. Like a lot of fantasy TV shows, it takes a little bit to like set the world, set the tone, set the characters. But like these last three-ish episodes were really, really good. Had a good time with it. And there's like this controversy in nerddom where it's like people wanted an adaptation of the Silmarillion. And first of all, why? But like this is not like an adaptation of Tolkien's unfinished works about the back the background of Middle Earth. This is really if you view this through the lens of like it's a prequel to Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. It takes on a whole different light. And I think it, you probably un- unbunch your underwear a little bit about that. Um, we also, I watched it. My wife didn't watch this, but Marvel, Marvel, the MCU is, uh, did their first foray into like a horror thing. Um, they put out werewolf by night, which if you're not familiar with it, like Marvel has this whole Marvel comics has this whole kind of like horror imprint thing. And one of the characters is a, 
uh, a monster hunter that also turns into a werewolf. It was cool. It was fun. They got around a lot of like the gore by making it black and white so they could be a little bit more intense. But like with Blade coming, with Jon Snow having another cursed sword in the MCU, right? Like there's a lot of opportunities for Marvel to go this like horror-ish route and I'm excited to see what comes of it. And then I just got uh, something weird happened with my Amazon pre-order. It never showed up, but I finally got my copy of Mike Roach's uh, new books. I'm excited to dive into that. I've got a little work travel. So uh, I've got a new plane read and, and I will keep you updated on that. Love it. Um, very good. I, I am following Gerald's world a bit here. I, I haven't historically done a lot of audiobooks i listen to a lot of podcasts but there is a certain like neurological sensation that i really get from reading a book um versus kind of the audiobook version but i've really enjoyed and it was recommended to me uh, matthew mcconaughey's reading his matthew mcconaughey's green lights um it's an interesting book uh it's a lot of what you think it would be with mcconaughey and and mcconaughey's kind of combo of like you know southern fried schmaltz um you know and and weird philosophical esoteric uh isms um and slogans and bumper stickers and and sayings uh, abound but it's it's also interesting i'm probably about a third through the book and by listening to him for more than a, a commercial which he lampoons himself for or a uh you know a, a crazy interview like Getting, getting a couple hours of him, you start to get a little bit deeper into the psyche of the man, and he goes a lot into his history and his parents and what they were and where he falls in the family line and, and how they moved and where they grew up and where he lived and the things he experienced. And you kind of start to put the pieces together for this enigma that is McConaughey, right? Like, before he was Minister Culture, it was just that McConaughey guy. Now he's become such an influential part, but you still really, like, don't know how we got here, how we got to this version of of him. And it's it's been a really interesting read, especially the stuff about him being young and um, family dynamics. It's It's been very, very interesting. And it's been a little bit uh, endearing, I think, ultimately, uh, of, you know, he's not just this quirky uh, huckster who's out here. He says he's a grifter, right? Like, he says he's, he's a hustler. Um, but he, uh, you see where some of his brain... And some of his mannerisms and some of his ideals kind of come from and where they're formed. Um, so it's been a, it's been a really enlightening, I, I'm going to say read, but it, I, I would recommend at the highest order listening to him read it because you know he talks about his time in Australia and his Australian accent is phenomenal and uh, just like he, he he's an actor right. So hearing him bring these characters to life that are in his life, his brother, his dad, you know, all these things, these stories as he tells them, as the guy who lived them. It's really just sitting at a campfire with McConaughey shooting, you know, some of his best A uh, material stories. So it's very, very captivating and entertaining. I love it. Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, don't don't you air quotes reading when you talk about audiobooks, right? That's very, very... Uh, that's, I'll fight you next time we see you. <laughs> uh, no, I, I've heard good things about it. I really it needs to be on my list of, of uh, things to read. Kyle, it's, read. It, it is also, it's, it's the first time I've used the Libby app, right? So I, I like to buy a hardcover book and keep it on my shelf. I don't hardly ever go back to it, you know, unless it's one of my all-timers. But uh, there's something I like about the tactile nature. So it really is a departure for me uh, to use the, the Libby library app, which is amazing. Libby is my jam. That's all. It's, it's whew. It's the way I'm listening to audiobooks uh, right now during my travel season. That's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can also get excited 
we got a basketball preview coming up next week for men's and women's. So uh, you can follow me tweeting at the various basketball writers sleuthing through the uh, Texas uh, troves of, of video footage that Texas basketball releases to get a preview ready. As is tradition, yeah, during the bye week, we will bring you our basketball preview. We're excited to bring that to you next Thursday. Both men's and women's will bring it to you in the spot. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Wrong shade of orange, boys. Boys.